Welcome back to From the Ground Up with Mark Weller. I'm your host, Matt Rienzo, alongside Mark Weller. Mark, how's it going? A lot of ton of stuff going on with us right now. Oh, it's been a great, uh, a great few months, uh, all the way through the summer up till now. Just recently had a big announcement on our big Bahamas project in Grand Bahama, opening a Six Senses Hotel with an incredible partner, Pegasus, uh, Pegasus Capital Partners out of New York. And uh, we uh, we couldn't be more excited about what we have going on down there. We also have some really fun stuff going on in upstate New York and California and Virginia. Very busy. Also working very hard in Port Covington, finishing up our part of that, which uh, which is just going really well. It's such a great project. Very proud of that. A lot going on. Really busy, which is always a good thing, right? So uh, a lot happened since our last. We did our uh, anniversary, one-year anniversary podcast was the last episode. So we're excited to get back into some new content here. Uh, we'll obviously do special episodes and all of our exciting news that Mark just kind of teased, the Bahamas, Grand Bahama in particular. Um, but today we have an awesome special guest former college football star at Notre Dame, wide receiver in the NFL for the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Jets, and now a very successful businessman and real estate entrepreneur, Malcolm Johnson of Langdon Park Capital. So let's bring him on. Malcolm, it's great to have you on. How are you doing? I'm great, Matt. Thank you so much. It's good to hear your voice. Great to hear your voice, too. So, uh, you know, obviously, just so everyone knows, Malcolm and I went to uh, high school together, uh, Gonzaga College High School here in Washington, D.C. And What year uh, did you graduate, Matt? I was uh, 1965? 90, <laughs> 93, <laughs> 93 out of high school. And Malcolm, you were 94, right? Yes, and, and, and Mark, you're right. That does feel like about 50 years ago. <laughs> I mean, it I was 30 years ago years. at this point, so it's not that far off, it's unfortunately. Incredible. That's right. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then our paths crossed, you know, a year or so ago in the business world. And I really thought, you know, based on what you're working on, you'd be a great guest to have on. So thanks for being on and and for taking the time. Of course, of course. And and congrats to you and Mark on building something really special was, uh, was a real pleasure to get to see what you started out in Baltimore and definitely looking forward to seeing that project grow. Great. Well, we appreciate that. And, and uh, we got to start with the sports angle because Mark and I are just sports junkies and, and we love it. And, and so we'd be remiss if we didn't start there with your awesome football career. You know, uh, I mentioned Gonzaga. You emerged as an athlete, as a stellar athlete at Gonzaga in high school and became a huge talent uh, in football as a wide receiver and went on to play at Notre Dame. And then you played in the NFL for a couple of years with the Steelers and the Jets. I also read, which I didn't know, that you played in the uh, Canadian Football League, which was pretty cool. Interested to hear about that. Um, but tell us about your love of football and sports and how it kind of molded you to be the man that you are. Yeah, so, so Matt, you're definitely taking me down memory lane because, you know, it's been a while since I, I laced up the pads and wore a helmet, but um, definitely the time that we spent together at Gonzaga um, helped shape everything that, that I've become uh, in the time since then. So, like, like most kids i was um i was outdoorsy i was i was a nerdy outdoorsy guy though um i had had a local rec center that was attached to a public library and so every day after school my brothers and i had to stop by the library first to finish our homework we were latchkey kids back when that was a term mm-hmm. like my, my parents worked until 6 six thirty every night so we we had to spend the first couple hours at the library and then i got to go to Langdon Park Rec Center, um, which was literally three blocks away from my house and, and did every sport, basketball, karate, um, <laughs> swimming, you name it. But my favorite at the time was football. And I was, I was never really that good as a youngster, but I loved being around my buddies. I loved the fact that football was the best team sport. Like there's no, there's no ability as, as an amazing singular athlete to affect winning, um, and in, in football, the way you can in some of the other team sports. So I love that aspect of it. And then when I got to Gonzaga, because it wasn't the Gonzaga football program that, that you and I know now, and I know some of your listeners may be familiar with high school football in the D.C. area, but, you know, Gonzaga has been a perennial champion over the last decade or so, but that wasn't really the case in the early 90s. So I was, I was good enough to, <laughs> to play freshman football, and, and I started um, as a freshman on that team, and then I played JV football. And then sometime around my 11th grade year, I started to blossom. And that was when we got a new head coach who come from one of the, the area's most winningest programs, um, Moss Collins, may he rest in peace, who's, who's actually got his name on the football field at, at Gonzaga now. Um, he, was, he was our coach my junior and senior year. 
and he had coached some of the best uh, all-time football players to ever come out of the D.C. area. Guys like Marvin Graves and Lawrence Moten. He coached all of Because he had been at Carroll before, Spoke. right? Archbishop Carroll. He was at Archbishop Carroll, which was actually in my neighborhood. I grew up in Northeast D.C., and Archbishop Carroll would have been my neighborhood school if my parents hadn't insisted that I go to Gonzaga. Um, so so I, I, like, like every successful person, it's always because you've got some mentor, some coach, some parent, some family member, some, uh, someone who, who teacher, professor, who pours into you. And, and for me, that was Moss Collins as a football player. And, and um, I remember really the helped, buzz helped. at school as, as even though it was 30 <laughs> years ago, I remember the buzz of when he got hired, everyone was like, Oh man, we got Moss Collins. We're going to be the best mm-hmm. team in the area. Um, and it's great to hear that he had that, that actual impact on you. No doubt. So that, that was, that was where it started. But, but yes, I, I, I did play at Gonzaga obviously. And, and uh, I'm still not sure how exactly Notre Dame came to find out that, that, um, that I had the talent to go compete at that level. I was, I was you know, always hoping that I would get noticed by some of the big schools, but I was fully prepared to go just to college as, um, as a student and not, not even play football. Um, but somewhere around again, my junior year became, became a real possibility. And by the time I was a senior, I had, I had options to go to just about any school in the country and, and chose Notre Dame and, and could, not have been, um, could not have been a more different environment in Northeast DC, but it was absolutely the best experience um, as a, as a man, as a as a football player, as a student that I could have asked for. And so, you know, life always works out the way it's supposed to, without question. But I was really fortunate to have a lot of great coaches and mentors along the way. And who was the coach at Notre Dame? And just spend like thirty seconds talking about what it was like playing on that hallowed ground of Notre Dame football. So, uh, Lou Holtz recruited me. And, uh, that's pretty Lou, cool. <laughs> that's really so, cool. So I played, I played for Lou for three years and yeah, it was, it was a special place. It is a special place. Did he grab Funny your face thing, mask, I, Malcolm? Did he ever grab uh, your face mask and yell at you? No, but he, he definitely, this was pre COVID. <laughs> like he, he gets really close. And, and when he's yelling at your face you know, and everything, the spittle all up in your face that you have to pretend like you don't feel it was a different uh, time. It was a different time of coaching, though. I mean, I was grabbed and thrown and slapped around and all kinds of stuff by my coaches growing up. That's so right. It was That's a different right. time. It was a different time. But I was prepared for it. But between between my father, who was kind of the same same sort of disciplinarian, and and Coach Collins at, at Gonzaga, I was ready for it. Although I, I will say this, you know, Notre Dame and college football in general has has moved into a whole different space in terms of how how much the resources trickle down to the program. So if you've ever seen the movie Rudy, yeah, which was loosely based on a true story, of Rudy came out when I was a, when I was a senior in high school. So that was, was um, the, the best recruiting pitch Notre Dame could have ever given for anyone. But the facilities that you saw in the movie Rudy, which was set in the 1970s, were the exact same facilities that Jerome Bettis and Tim Brown and Rocket and me all had to play in. Like we didn't, we didn't have the most plush facility. It was mm-hmm. a special place yeah. precisely because you had this very, I mean, it felt very old school to say, to say the least, but it was, it was definitely an amazing experience that uh, I'm glad I had the opportunity to, to have in my life. That, that's awesome. Yeah. Malcolm, there's another piece of about athletics to talk about real quick is your, your children. So yeah, I see your daughter, I was talking to Matt about this and looking at this online. Daughter played volleyball at Penn, which uh, which looks pretty cool. And then your, your son appears to be a very accomplished basketball player on his own, doing making moves, trying to do that. You know, Matt has five kids, and and I got four. Uh, you know, we, we actually we love I, I have four kids. You have five. Did I say that backwards? <laughs> yeah. I, I apologize. I'm not even sure anymore. Matt has. We're confused. Matt has four kids, three daughters, <laughs> one son. I have four boys. And one daughter. I actually miss, and that, sometimes I forget about my daughter. I think that's what that was. I have four boys and a daughter. My daughter is my favorite one, so I shouldn't do that. But okay, uh, that was a nice, that was a nice cleanup one. Yes, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. But but where I was going with that is you just must be so you know I've my kids have had their own you know trials and tribulations and learned so much of life you know through sport and so on. But you must be so proud of your daughter being at Penn and your son you know growing as a young man into the sport and so on. I mean, tell us about that for a second. That's it, it's a big thing as a dad of a you know for a dad to, to go through. Well, you just said it. You just said it, Mark. The the beauty of being a parent is that you get to see all the things that um, you hope you would be able to accomplish yourself. 
but you get to see them through your kids' eyes. And and not to say you're trying to live life again through them, but you can now you can now impart whatever wisdom you've gained and then watch them become their own fully formed human beings. My daughter's a sophomore at Penn and I just talked to her this morning actually. She um she's up in Ithaca, New York. They got Cornell today and then tomorrow they go into the city to play Columbia. And wow. it's amazing that I'm talking to an 18 year old, soon to be 19, who I'm talking to an adult. You know, she's she's independent, she's strong, she's um, she's beautiful. And yes, the, it's the greatest accomplishment for any it parent. Fe- it and feels so good. It feels so good, right, to watch your kids actually, yes. actually function. Because yes. as a parent, it makes you it makes you really feel comfortable that if something were to happen, God forbid, or when they're ready to really go on their own in the next few years, they'll be prepared. And I think that what yes. I noticed with the sports in particular, and and in the, in the work to, uh, as well, but the sports, um, the way especially the college sports lines up, these kids have to learn how to use their time wisely, and they have to learn how to be efficient and they have to learn how to be uh, punctual, respectful, smart, and everything way before a lot of other college kids. If you're going to be a college athlete, you know, if you're going to do both. And I think uh, it sets them up for life later on in a really unique story. Right. And we, we always feel right. when we get an opportunity to hire, uh, you know, kids with great educations who are former athletes, you, you know, you already kind of know what you're getting. That is a, that is a, a pretty special person to, to do that. So congratulations on that. Yeah, and, and one I of the things it. one of the things that I I don't like social media in general, but one of the things I do like about it is you know when I reconnected with you a year or two ago, I've started following you on Instagram, and so I was able to see you know your daughter playing at Penn and your son playing hoops, and and that's just a really cool way to stay connected. What about your son? He's in high school and looking to play in college. Is that is that the deal? He is, and and again because he's had the benefit of, of growing up with me as a crazy dad and watching his big sister. Mm-hmm. He's, he's so he's so much more advanced than I was as a 16 year old. I was yeah. I was a young high school graduate, but my son is uh, a 16 year old high school junior, and he's not just a, a really good basketball player. He's a really smart and tough basketball player. He um, he transfers a lot of what he's what he's heard from us talk about doing in the classroom and off the court onto the court in terms of being cerebral. Um, in fact, if he has anything that he probably needs to work on more is it's thinking less and just acting on instinct. So it's, it's, it's fun to watch him grow. And then behind him, we got an eight year old who now gets the oh, benefit wow. of, you know, the eight year old has been in the car ride with, with me post game, post practice. And he's, he's heard all my speeches. He's heard all the, the yelling. So <laughs> he's, he's way more, he's way more, um, he's way more advanced than, than either of his older siblings. That's amazing. We're at this stage, so it's fun. It's fun, man, and um, it's the best part. It's the best part of, of life as a as a husband and as a dad to watch them compete at, at something that they put a lot of work into and that they love. Oh yeah, that's really cool. We actually uh, on the, on that note, Matt and I both had the uh, privilege of watching our kids uh, both sign. Uh, their uh, national letters of intent two, was it two days ago. Yeah, yeah. Matt, right. Matt Congratulations. Signed, signed at Georgetown, and my kid signed at uh, Michigan. And uh, both for lacrosse, no surprise there. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> but it, but it was great. It was just great to see. It's just nice to see for the kids. My favorite part about sports for the kids is is it's just like the rest of life. You put in the work, you put in the time, persistence, perseverance, attitude, all that, and it pays off. It pays off at That's some right. level every time. And uh, it's good to see, you know, get, you know, it's, there's a lot of hard work behind the scenes and all these things, like these projects we work on and so on. Uh, but it's, it's great to have that moment where you can have the big reveal, the signing for the college or the groundbreaking for the project or whatever it is. Right. And uh, they all they're all kind of the same thing when you really look back on life as you get older. So one That's thing. Right. Congrats, first, let, let me say, too, congrats to both of you and your families. That's an amazing accomplishment for your kids. And, and the beautiful thing is, like I said, they set an example now for their younger siblings too, which sure. is also great. You know, they could, they can, without you and mom having to say all the things, the way they live life, the way they go about their business um, is observed by their siblings. And, and that's what you want as a parent. Exactly. Beautiful. Love it. So I want to just ask one more question about your background, then we'll get into the future and talk about your business and the work that you're doing. Um, obviously, we already talked about Notre Dame, where you got a business degree. Then you went on to the Tepper School of Business at Carnegie Mellon. Was that while you were with the Steelers or after? No, it was, it was after I, I finished playing. You mentioned that uh, I had a very brief career in NFL, and, and you never think it's going to be um, as short as it is. I don't care if you ask, you ask 
Peyton Manning, who played for 16, 17 years, and, and Peyton and I came out of high school the same year in 1994. You ask Tom Brady, who, who's been playing for 20, 21 years at this point and still probably thinks, damn, that, that flew past. My career was, was all of three and a half seasons uh, as an NFL player and then uh, spent, spent a year playing in the Canadian League. And then I was 25 years old trying to figure out what was next. And the best, the best way to segue was going to business school so I could just learn what career options there were um, while also kind of moving forward and advancing myself. I, di I didn't go into business school knowing what investment banking meant exactly or what management consulting was and certainly not what real estate private equity actually entailed. So it was an amazing opportunity to learn a lot about a lot of different professions and then move myself into a different space where I had a technical skill set to go pursue one of those pr professions. Uh, so it was, a, it was a perfect segue for me at a time when, um, you know, frankly, if you'd asked me five or six years previously, I would have said at 25, I'll be hitting my stride as an NFL player and going into my second contract. Um, but life doesn't always work out exactly what you want it. And now that I look back, that was the timing was perfect for me to for me to transition um, at that age to business school. Yeah, but the, and that's that's what's needed. And so then you you move on, and then how does that background? Uh, and all of that experience prepare you and you know for your career in business you know in the business world and how you moved forward the, the best part and your kids are going to get this because they're at big time programs playing big time sports um, the best part is that you learn how to compartmentalize and and you get that as as a student athlete at, at a major university like Notre Dame and then you definitely get that in the National Football League where you have to you as an individual, I have to be fully responsible for, you know, just like any other job. I'm, I'm sitting in my office today, even though Friday is a work from home day for most of our team. I'm in the office, but I'm here, if I'm not traveling, seven days a week because I compartmentalize when I'm here. This is when I'm working. I'm locked in. When I'm home, I'm very present with my wife and, and our kids. When I'm sitting in the stands and my son's games, I'm very present there. The phone doesn't come out of my, my pocket while I'm watching him play. And so compartmentalizing is what probably transferred over the most. And, and for a period of time, when I, cause I went to Carnegie Mellon, which is in Pittsburgh, you know, I played in Pittsburgh my first year and a half in the league. All of my social circle were guys who were still on the team. So, you know, Heinz Ward, Joey Porter, Jerome Bettis, those are my guys, Plexico Burst, and they all still live, you know, five minutes away and, and our wives hang out. But I had to compartmentalize and say, well, I'm at Tepper and I got an optimization test tomorrow. So I'm spending I'm spending four hours here and I'm going to go see the TA. And then I got to go do an hour worth of problem sets before tomorrow's test. And that's just the way it is. That that was the biggest transition, making sure I, I focused on, um, to use the phrase from my, my first college coach, Lou Holtz. He always said, when stands for what's important now. And at that point, what's important now was being prepared to succeed at Carnegie Mellon so I could then prepare myself to, to succeed after school. Um, but that was a lesson learned through sports. And, and again, Mark, Matt, your, your kids are going to get that in spades over the next four years um, as, as college student-athletes too. I love the win. I never yeah. heard that one before. Me I'm going to start using that. What's important now? I mean, I've, I've lived within all these sports sayings for 30 years. Yeah. I've never heard that one. That's, no, that's amazing. Well, and, and I really like your message. Anybody, Go ahead. Anybody who ever played for Lou, with, with that, that'll roll off the tongue. Like, that's one of those. Every team meeting, we heard that. It was, it was written on the locker room, written in the big meeting room at the facility. And it really is. Uh, those are great words to live by. We always say um, – um, Keep the main thing the main thing. Well, I always say actually go, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main yeah, thing. that's right. Because everybody gets a little sidetracked once in a while. We go off in these rabbit holes of whether it's what we're, how we're working or what we're working on. But you dial it back and distill it back and just keep it simple. 
main yeah, that, thing is to keep that, the main that's thing. That's great. Main and, thing. and the other thing too is the car- compartmentalization. That's a tough word to say. The compartmentalization that you mentioned. You know, we've had about twenty or so of these episodes. Talked to a lot of really cool people, and nobody's really talked about it that way. So it's a really interesting way of looking at it. And I definitely agree with you, and uh, and think that's a great way to go through your professional and your your family. Well, I life. think also Malcolm you know, being an entrepreneur, you have no choice. You you would get eaten alive with concern and worry sometimes if you didn't understand how to actually check leave certain certain issues and certain certain things away from the home and leave them at work when you come home because there's just so much going on and you you have to learn how to do that and I think it's uh, most entrepreneurs are even though we work 24 7 I think we're also real good at being able to really separate ourselves I I find that a lot of friends that are in similar positions are very good at separating themselves from their work when when they're not doing it they're not doing it they've not even they're not even concerned about it they're not worried about it at all and it sounds like you've got that one down that's right. And the, the other thing I'll say on that, and I'm, I'm sure, Matt, I know you um, as, a, as a man and former, former high school friend and teammate, so I know you, you think about the world the same way. As an entrepreneur, somebody asked me this, um, somebody asked me this the other day, like, do you, do you have, do your kids have any idea of the pressures that are on you with regard to stuff that's going on at work or the market? And I said, absolutely not. That's when I'm being present at home, the, the most important thing I can do is make sure my family feels safe and secure, which obviously they are, but that's not, that's not stress that should be transferred into our, our home space. You know, that's, in fact, I, I really don't feel any level of stress. It's more like um, excitement about, about what's around the corner. However, I'm sure you both agree, you have to provide your family with a sense of security uh, even if it's just your attitude, like, and I'm not talking about like the material things that make them feel secure, but just your attitude and your energy. Uh, Cause that's all they look to you for. When you walk home, you walk through your front door, they feel your energy. The second you, you, you cross that threshold. So it's really important that you, you bring that so they can give you back what you need. You know, they, they yeah. my kids and my wife, they fill me up with, with all the love that I need to go back out and, and tackle the next big investor meeting or, or uh, investor conference or whatever. So that's a really important piece as an entrepreneur to not allow, you know, any, anything that's happening at work to, to uh, put undue stress on the family, on the family, because that's not the energy that belongs in the family. It, 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 you are absolutely correct. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and that's a good segue too, because I do want to talk about the work that you're doing. And um, so just for the listeners, um, you started Langdon Park Capital. It's a real estate investment management company focusing on creating lasting social impact while generating value and strong financial returns for investors. That sounds kind of familiar, right, Mark? That's kind of the tagline that we go for too, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, but it's also we're finding there's more people in that in just in that sort of headspace these days of really wanting to. Yeah, we're profit. We're for profit company, but we don't we don't need to make. Uh, that you know all the money we we want to leave some on the table for others and we put you know we put stakeholders you know right next to shareholders you know we we put we put you know the community on the same level as is is everybody and i think when you think of things that way it's a different approach and some would argue oh well you're leaving money on the table and you could have done this and you could have that and i'd argue and i'd say no i don't think so at all i said our family has enough to eat. Our, our, we, we all have great careers and great jobs, and we're able to make these communities and these places we work better. To me, it's the most rewarding thing you can do. Yeah, so you know, it, it is such important work. Um, tell us a, a little bit about it, Malcolm, and then almost more importantly, why you're doing what you're doing. So, so first, thank you um, for, for setting up what, what I always get the most excited about talking about the reason why we're doing this. It's, it's just as important as what we're doing, and that's the reason I, I think we've had so much success uh, early on. But just to give you a bit of background, before I founded this company, I was a banker for almost, almost 17 years, um, most recently at J.P. Morgan. And, and there I, I got great exposure to um, – you know, some of the biggest and, and strongest sponsors in our business. And J.P. Morgan is, is, you know, for my for my money, the best run financial services company in the world. So a great training ground for building the foundation for something that uh, is built to last for, for decades, if not centuries, in terms of uh, an institution. But our focus and, and our differentiated strategy is all around 
impact. So as, as you said so well, one, making every last dollar is not necessarily the most important way to achieve impact. And if you focus solely on making every last dollar, I think what you end up doing is being very short-sighted about how well, like talk to any farmer. Can you, can you farm the same piece of land 365 days a year and, and take every fruit, every piece of fruit that that land will bear for all four seasons? Of course not. You have to think about how am I watering this flower bed? How much oxygen is this getting? Am I giving this vine enough time to grow? And ultimately that creates a much stronger crop for generations to come. You think about investing holistically in that same way. It can't be, I'm going into this community to give a very, a very direct example. We own, we own a 300 unit apartment building in Prince George's County, Maryland. So it's, it's about 25 minutes outside of Washington, DC. And my dad's now a public school teacher in Suitland, which is also um, in Prince George's County, Maryland. So I've got really direct ties to that community. It also happens to sit less than 25 minutes away from MGM Harbor, um, you know, MGM's beautiful casino and, and, and resort facility and where the Nationals play their home games is only 20 minutes away. And downtown DC with lots of great government contracting jobs is only 25 minutes away. So it's a great location. The types of families who live at our property are the types of families that grew up around me in Northeast DC. So they're hardworking people who earn too much to qualify for any kind of housing subsidies. However, because DC is such a high cost of living place, they unfortunately often don't qualify to be a single family homeowner. So they're renters by necessity, but these are people who are raising kids who try, they're trying to get into great schools. They wanna start businesses. They wanna have a dignified retirement. If, if our idea of creating value was going into that community and, and renovating units at a point where we had to charge 60 or 70% higher rents in order, to, in order to achieve a profit, ultimately what we do is drive out those high quality tenants and now they've got to drive further to get to the same government contracting jobs in the city or the places that run because of these workforce, whether it's the police department, your local retail store, a local public school, they don't run as well because you don't have people with high quality housing in the submarket. So it's better for the overall economy in general if we preserve some level of affordability at, at this residential community. So we, we apply that, that line of thinking to everything we do. Uh, and, and a local economy doesn't work if you've got um, an upper class and a lower class and no workforce. Like we, we serve that portion of the population that really is the engine of local economies and we provide safe, clean, high quality, affordable housing, which is, which is a, should be a human right, a basic human right. But because we think about the world that way, we end up making better investment decisions. And, and so um, it's really a blessing to get to do this as, as a profession, which feels more like a mission than a profession. But to your point, um, Mark, we end up doing really well as investors because we view we view those types of apartment communities much differently. Um, so, anyway, it's, it's it's a very special thing to get to go do every single day. Um, we got the right team to 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 really scale. Um, we've already done a lot in, in a relatively short period of time. So, I'm excited about what what the future holds. So I think I think none of us knows exactly what's going to happen in 2023 and, and beyond with, with regard to interest rates or uh, the economy. However, it's a pretty safe bet to say the demand for the type of housing that we own and operate is only going to continue to be really strong. So I'm, I'm at least confident that there will always be um, significant demand for the type of properties that we own. And now it's, it's incumbent upon us as Langdon Park Capital to be really responsible operators um, and, and community stakeholders. No, I, yeah, I, I share your, uh, passion for affordable housing and, and workforce housing, uh, particularly, I mean, you, you look at, we, we always use the, you know, teachers and firemen and all, and that, and that is absolutely true, but there are so many other positions in society that are so important. And we, and I see it when I drive different directions in the morning, going to different 
places and the 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 gridlock the soul crushing traffic uh people driving in for an hour two hours three hours to get into their get into their job and 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 very few are really focusing on the housing piece so i commend you for that uh it is so needed and it's so needed and it's every it's so needed everywhere by the way it's especially these these higher these higher price markets but so so you know, talking about that, like most recently, like, is there a project you want to highlight and tell us about a little bit? Is there, is there one specific that you're really proud of or excited, excited about? So, so that one stands out just because one is our largest, it's our largest asset um, today, but, but also because it's so, it's so close to, to my hometown. But I would say a lot of what we've done in Southern California has kind of the same, the same flavor. Um, one submarket in particular that we always love to talk about is um, is the city of Los Angeles, and we own two assets in the city of Los Angeles. One is in is in East Hollywood, which is primarily a Latino submarket um, here in, in LA, and another is in Baldwin Village, which is in South LA, uh, and that's about 50-50 Latino and Black in terms of, of the residents who live at our properties. The one in East Hollywood is literally I can see Netflix headquarters from our parking lot. Like you can see the, the huge Netflix sign. Um, there's there are three entertainment studios within a one and a half mile radius of this of this apartment community, and yet because our building is mostly one bedrooms and studios, it tends to be workers, not necessarily families, who would live at our building. And if not for our ownership, this is a building that, without question, would would get renovated. Um, at a level that's only affordable for senior executives at those studios right. to afford. LA is, is most most residents in LA um, are still are still renters. That's we're such a we're such a high cost submarket that in, in our city, um, nearly fifty five percent of all residents actually rent. So this is prime real estate. However, we also recognize that people who work at the studios not in the C suite deserve safe, clean, affordable housing, and so. We've, we've been able to improve, and we've only owned this asset for four months. We've been able to improve operations at the building. We're working on renovating some of the common areas, but we're not doing it in a way that requires us to increase rents by 40 or 50% for new, for new lessees. Instead, we're thinking thoughtfully about what we can add to improve the quality of their lives, and that's financial education from our partners at, at one of the big banks here to help them get more financially literate and ultimately be able to move into a different space in terms of wage earning income. So was this done, saving I'm sorry, real quick, was this done with low, low housing with, uh, income tax credits is LIHTC? It's not, this is not, this is, we bought this building. It's a market rate building. It's, market. Um, it's, it was, it was when we purchased it somewhere between C plus and B minus in okay. terms of what type of asset it was, but we, we operate it as if it's an A. We opt like that's the, the mentality that we've got our property managers. We, we have third party property managers who are very engaged They literally speak, I say literally speak the same language as the majority of our residents. We've got a lot of Spanish speaking uh, residents at this building. And so our, our property managers are bilingual. The maintenance staff is bilingual. So we operate. If you walked in, your customer experience is going to feel just like it would if you walked into a luxury building. However, we don't have all the luxury bells and whistles. Instead, we've got services that make you feel, uh, services that improve the quality of your life. So we, we, we try to do that, that at all of our, all of our properties. And I think. What, and they're, and they're what targeted, right? Malcolm, they're targeted to the very, specific building and the needs absolutely. of the community and the age group that's living there. And I so want to hear more about that's those. Right. Can you yeah. go into depth on that? Yeah. So that's the, I'm glad you, you mentioned that very targeted. So we've got, you know, we could go in and we've got census data on, who the residents are in a certain zip code, um, you know, racial demographics and, and socioeconomic demographics. However, it's not until we actually complete a very comprehensive tenant and resident survey that we know exactly what those particular residents find most important. So yeah. the first step in that, and, and again, this is, I'm given, I'm given the very basic steps that a manager who has cultural competency and has lived in these sorts of communities understands and that's that's us but the first part is we got to build some level of trust so within the first 30 days my entire management team always does a resident meet and greet every single asset we own 
all of our senior team members show up and we just listen. We listen to our residents and you now it helps when you, when you get a great taco truck and we got, we got uh, gift card giveaways and, and music and all that stuff, the residents show up. But they also want to show up because they've never had a property owner come and ask them, what do you need the most? Talk to us about what you like about living in this community and what you would like to see. And as much as you might think, well, somebody's just going to say, yes, I want a stainless steel refrigerator. Like I want to, <laughs> they never say, I want a stainless steel refrigerator. Instead, they say stuff like, we've heard this in one of our properties. You know, there's a methadone clinic a block and a half away and the people at those clinic walk onto the property at our building and make it unsafe for my grandkids. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you can do about that? Like that's a, from an operational expense standpoint, it's so much easier to one, go and talk to the operator of that methadone clinic about securing their property Two, placing security cameras alongside our building, well-lit pathways, so that we've addressed the number one concern. Somebody said, I want this to be safe for my grandkids. Like, so that's, that's how we build trust. We, we listen first and foremost to what residents want. And from there, we then ask, well, what else would you like to see? Would after-school enrichment activities for your grandkids be something you'd be interested in? Um, and then you're, and then you're finding strategic partners for these various exactly. initiatives. Exactly. Which, this, which this is what I like. What anyway. This is what I love yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. It's great. You got it. That's you, you, you hit the nail on the head and, and you can probably hear my voice. I'm super excited about it, but that's exactly right. We then go find the strategic partner who can provide that app. If it is after school enrichment, if it is someone who needs, um, needs, needs tutoring so they can go complete a GED program. We have Spanish speaking tutors who show up at the property. You, you'd be amazed at how, uh, when they trust, when they trust their, 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 landlord they're willing to share some of the things that would make their lives better in every case every single case we, we own four properties today but every single case our residents have told us i love living here i love this neighborhood and that makes sense right these are traditionally this these are their neighborhoods south la has traditionally been um where where black and, and brown folks in los angeles live east la has east hollywood has traditionally been where a lot of latino people live so they like the neighborhoods. They just want their buildings to feel more like a community. And so that's incumbent on us. Uh, and Malcolm, Malcolm you said it before, listen. though. It's a human right. It's a human right. Sure. Safety and housing, these should be things that are just givens. And, and this is great that you're, you're working in these neighborhoods that, and enhancing this and, and creating this you know, really incredible environment. Um, and I've seen work, I've seen what you're doing and I've seen other people doing work like what you're doing too. There's a lot of people really trying hard to, to, to take it up a notch and uh, it's awesome. I congratulate you. That's right. I, I think the, the best, the best compliment we can, we can get and the best, uh, the best result we can have if we're successful is that this becomes the standard for all, for all apartment owners um, and, and these sorts of communities, because then you've just created a better overall community period. So hundred percent. I hope we, I hope we're, we're a catalyst for other, other owners to have to do the same thing in order to compete with us um, for the same residents. You know, it's, it's funny, this is going in a little different direction, but it's, it's that same issue. I mean, we've had the issue in DC for a little while, but it's been a long while since we had vacants. But in Baltimore, we had a huge vacant issue, still a huge vacant issue up there. And, you know, they, they try and, you know, get the vacants taken over and, and take the townhouses and get them converted into housing and so on. But it's really hard. And, and D.C., um, really, to root out any type of vacancy, at one point they put, I don't know what it was, 10 times uh, was your property taxes if it was just sitting vacant, not being used, no construction permit drawn. And you, I, look at, I, look at, um, I look at sort of the, the, um, the, the uh, I would say, uh, uh, slum kept apartments uh, with, with slumlord type landlords that put a really bad, bad reputation on the real estate industry sometimes. And I feel like sometimes that our government and our attorney generals in these municipalities need to do more about the vacancy, about the bad buildings, about the bad landlords. I mean, really go after them. And I think that that's one way to get, get it moving on one end. And then I think with leadership on the other end, the positive way is you have somebody like you, Malcolm, who's setting a path forward 
uh, by setting a higher standard and then saying this is how you do it and, and it becomes the norm. And I think between the two things, and I just think the municipalities, though, they have to push harder on some of these, uh, on some of these situations. These, these landlords that are not taking care of the buildings and not taking care of the people, they need to be gone. And we need to get, get housing because housing is a human right, just like you said. It's a human right. That's right. That's right. You, you, you're spot on. And look, there are so many, uh, so many facets of a solution that we should all be thinking about working on. I, mean, I, could, I could go on and on about how we need to be improving the schools and the public schools in these, in these sub-markets. As I mentioned yeah. earlier, my, my dad is a public school teacher at Suitland High School, which is only 10 minutes away from the building we have. So schools need to be better. We need to have more access to health care and healthy grocers. We're starting with, with one of the most basic parts, where you live, the place that you come home to, the place where you celebrate your kids' birthdays um, and holidays. That needs to feel like a real community first and foremost. But but you're absolutely right. There there needs to be a very concerted effort between private owners, local elected officials, um, government agencies, in order to make sure we have stronger communities overall. Yeah, and I think you know, and I think also personally, I found great frustration in these communities that I've been working in that we couldn't bring a grocery or we couldn't bring certain other amenities that these communities need and deserve. Uh, we were so proud to assist and put together the first bank branch ever uh, in Cherry Hill. J.P. Morgan uh, was our partner on that. And literally, with Catholic Charities, actually owned the shopping center. Moved Which in. is a suburb of Baltimore. Oh, oh Baltimore. I'm sorry. In Cherry Hill and Baltimore, across from Port Covington. It is a huge concentration of affordable housing. And it's, it's just, it's always been treated really unfairly and poorly. The community has through a series of terrible laws and policy and all kinds of things. But long story short, they don't have a grocery store. You can only get chips there, all kinds. They never had a bank branch or anything. We got a bank brought there. It was like one of the proudest things ever. But the one that, the one that still vexes me, and I just work, I, I, every chance I get when I talk to is grocers. I would love to see more social pressure put on grocers, no different than banks. And J.P. Morgan stepped up. I give him credit. But I'd like to see the same step up from the, from the grocers. Uh, there's no reason that Cherry Hill and those surrounding communities don't have a Safeway or don't have a Giant just like the other communities have or whatever, whatever the grocery right. store is in your neighborhood. And um, um, I think it's uh, unconscionable that they don't. Um, and I think it's a combination of, of, of and not government oversight, but I think, I think we as a society and also, you know, I think we need to push harder to get, get these communities more of what they need. Because you're right, housing is the first piece and it's human rights stuff. But also being able to get fresh fruit, it, it should be just as easy for a kid in Cherry Hill as it is in, in, in Roland Park, which is, the, you know, one of the, one of the higher end neighborhoods in Baltimore, right? And it's not. And it, it just it it just immediately sort of creates a disparity, you know, in these communities because we're, we're lacking these things. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully uh, you and I can get a chance to work on some of these things. Maybe it's maybe it's Prince George's County and we can go push real hard to get get some more amenities brought over there. Although although that is kind of a boom town over there that there's a lot happening over in Prince George's County these days. That's right. Again, I, I, I harken back to what I started with or what you started with when you gave our tagline. First of all, we have to we have to create real returns for, for our investors. So we like the fact that these are boom towns. We think that's a good thing. We just want to make sure everyone who's been in those submarkets for decades has an opportunity to participate in the boom. But we that's like right. the fact that you know there's there's growth happening and the grocers are starting to come in. Those are all good things. It just can't be so that no one who doesn't earn at the highest level is able to afford to experience those amenities, but that's absolutely a must. We, we, we love growth. Um, that means our investments end up being worth more. Um, could, could you imagine, could you imagine if, if a hundred CEOs of, of influential companies got together and said, we're going to, we're going to, um, uh, uh, really put pressure on the grocery chains to go into the underserved neighborhoods in Los Angeles, uh, Baltimore, uh, uh, Cleveland, whatever cities, pick your cities. And we're going to put pressure. They're going to put three grocery stores in each one of those cities somewhere where, where, there, where there hasn't been traditionally anything. Don't you think that they would start to listen? And for some reason, we, we, have, we haven't formed that type of, uh, of, of coalition to push for this type of change. I haven't seen organization around those types of things. And, um, and I think there should be, quite frankly. I think the real, estate, uh, the real estate industry as a whole should have committees that are actually pushing the, that type of agenda. But again, that's for a, so, for a bigger discussion, but I'd love to see. No, that's, more a, that's of that. an important one. Yeah. It's so, it, it requires some level of intentionality. So, like you said, 
to your 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 primary banks. This is what I want you to do. That is such a powerful way to move outcomes for all of us, and it creates so much more opportunity. Like that's the if if even if all you're really focused on is the bottom line. If you look at the data around, well, how is our bottom line going to grow? It can only happen if you're providing more opportunities for every person in your ecosystem to participate in that growth. So it, it, but it does require some level of intentionality. Yes. And I do. And I think we're, and I think we're stronger as a group than we are alone. I think the more, the more, the more we all get together on this, well, this is, we'll have offline conversations about that, but these are, these are really, really um, interesting topics and necessary on sometimes uncomfortable, but necessary topics to get into. I appreciate you talking about that. Couple more questions, Malcolm. I want to be respectful of your time. I know, I know you got to go soon, but um, just really quickly, I wanted to ask you, I mean, we talked about your background, which was very cool to learn about and how you got to where you are now and, and you are an entrepreneur and, and now you're with Langdon Park Capital. What are your biggest challenges as you're like being an entrepreneur, as you're starting this company, as you're now running this company and you've got four properties and trying to probably triple or, or quadruple in a certain time period? What are your biggest challenges as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, as a, as a human, as, a, uh, as you're embarking on this journey with your company? So, so and, and you know it because you're living it as well. I would say at the top of the list, and this is not a challenge, it's just a constant reminder to myself, you know, reflecting the, the attitude and the energy that, um, that I expect from all of our team members and all of our partners every single day is a huge responsibility and one that I, I take on um, really seriously. I, I, I heard this, from, um, heard this from, from one of my old football guys, and it's so true. He said, on a football team, there are two people that can never have a bad day, the head coach and the starting quarterback. And, and if you think about that, relating it to being an entrepreneur, you really have to, you have to be very cognizant of, and that's not to say we never have bad days, but you have to be aware of what your attitude and what your energy means for your team members, what it means for investors. Like think of how many CEOs have to go in front of investors right now and talk about prospects for their company in the face of blooming, you know, inflation, rising interest rates, possible recession, you have to reflect some level for a positivity. Now you need to have a plan on top of that. You can't just say I'm, I'm really positive, but I got no plan. But that's such an important factor in, in, um, in how your team views prospects for success. So that's, that's first and foremost. And then the second thing, because when you're an entrepreneur, um, founders especially have to think about this, you know, the tendency is to, to try to do everything. The tendency is I got to, you know, you naturally, you, you got 15 things that you're working on at any given time, but going back to the what's important now, you have to focus on where, where is your time best, best spent? You've got really competent team members who among your team is best suited to do tasks A, B, and C. And if they're not suited to do those things right now, how can you, how can you help them become better suited to do those things. Um, so one is your attitude, your energy has to always be you know, really positive and, and authentically positive. Uh, you do have a plan. you got to have a plan to grow and move forward. But, but two, you have to be focused on how you can scale by, by um, allocating tasks, responsibilities, roles appropriately. Because even though as a founder, you may think this is, <laughs> this is my vision, I, the investors want to see me do it. You have to be aware of what's going on at your company. You have to be, you know, final decision maker on the most important um, decisions at your firm, but you, you can't possibly do everything and, and expect your business to scale. So I'm, I'm still in learning mode on both of those. You know, I'm, I'm naturally a positive person and I do like to plan out um, my days, but you know, it's, it's a constant reminder to be positive and bring the energy um, that will give our team confidence to go succeed. And number two, try to empower our team to be, um, to be their best selves and do the things that they do really well. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Last question. And then, and then we'll let you go, uh, do some of this important work that you do. Um, what, you know, we talked about challenges. What about like, what's your greatest joy? Like what, give me one example of something that happened or, you know, an accomplishment that your team made or a moment where you were just like, damn, this is awesome. 
Man, so so it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen every day like this, and I got really lucky. So first, let, let's not end this. Let's not end this interview without talking about one of the biggest joys. So last Saturday, we watched Notre Dame defeat defeat the number four team in the country at home, and um, and I've been I've been back to campus <laughs> twice now this year. Unfortunately, I wasn't in South Bend for that game, but that was that was um, a moment of joy just watching my 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 alma mater um, climb back to glory. But no doubt, no doubt. That's great. Yeah, that, that was a great game. Um, and hopefully we can keep we can keep it going. I love the head coach. I love the energy um, in the program right now. But the, the the other thing kind of melds personal and professional. And that's why I consider myself so lucky. Um, at the end of August, we had I talked about these meet and greets that we do at our properties. So so we did a meet and greet in July at one of our buildings here in South Los Angeles. And then a month later, we did a, a back-to-school event at the same building. We got we got a local local retailer to donate sneakers for all the kids, and we had books and and school supplies and uh, pancake breakfast. But that happened to coincide with my birthday. So first, when I talk about the team being great, our head of asset management, who is amazing, she's been at Goldman Sachs and AEW and some of the biggest real estate investment companies in the world, she now works works with us and, and she leads asset management for our entire portfolio, but she's also responsible for managing all the property managers. And so she got our property manager to organize this amazing back to school event, which again happened to, to fall on my birthday. So I get to go, you know, on a, on a day, you know, you get, you get too much past 40, you don't really celebrate the birthdays the way you used to. Yeah, you, you don't were, want to anymore. <laughs> But this was, I, I can't recall a birthday that I've been more excited to get up and get out to this property. We've given away stuff to our residents. And then um, I come home and my wife and my kids have made me this amazing card with, with I don't know how my wife got my teenagers to write these heartfelt letters <laughs> to me, but they did. That's and, all we want, you know, right? We just want a yeah, note, a note that tells it, you man. something, that's how much they love I you. Want. That's all I want. That's what I got. And then we got... Um, we got out with with good friends that night. So like all in one day, I had the perfect, my team here at Langdon Park Capital organized this amazing thing for our residents. And so we got to bring joy into their lives. And then I hear from my kids on the same day. And then my wife takes me out to go hang out with good friends that night. Like that was, uh, I had, I've had now 45 different celebrations of birthdays and that was that was right at the top of the list that's awesome that's i love so that cool yeah. and, and i totally get that too I, you got it all that day man you got it all yeah that's cool. no doubt no that, doubt that's a beautiful man, that's I, a beautiful glad, story without question I'm, I'm glad to talk to both of you brothers you uh you're doing amazing work and, and um i know there's gonna be an opportunity for us to find a way to partner here in the future so so let's keep it up in the meantime um Let's just keep going. Let's keep going and, and, and doing it together. That's right. Just keep our head down and keep plowing. This has been such a great conversation, and we covered some fun and, and varying topics, and it was great to talk with you. I just want to thank you so much for coming on. Malcolm. Yeah, Malcolm, it's been great to reconnect with you and uh, just awesome conversation, and you're doing some great work. So thanks for coming on and keep doing the work that you're doing. It's really impressive and, and super important. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Mark, Matt. You guys be good. Have a great weekend. All right, that's it for us today. Thanks so much for listening. Please look for our upcoming episodes about our exciting new projects in Grand Bahama and elsewhere. As always, we'd love to hear from the audience. So if you have any suggestions for a guest or a topic, we'd be happy to hear it. Just hit us up on social media at Weller Development on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. I'm Matt Rienzo, and he's Mark Weller. Keep building, people. <laughs>